on this week's episode of Where We Are, Melissa and I will provide a recap of some of the key themes of 2023. We're so happy to be back with you. Hope you had a wonderful Christmas. Happy New Year. You're listening to Where We Are. This is where we are. We are the Wares. I'm Michael. I'm Melissa. And Melissa. We're back. We're back after a a good break. A, a wonderful break. Uh, a very good break. Yeah, but but we're uh, glad to glad to be back. We have a lot to discuss in so much. in this episode. Uh, we want to cover some of the we we've basically categorized. We we've, we've looked at the main uh, many of the main sort of news developments from 2023 and some some themes some buckets emerged and so we'll go we'll go through that uh on this week's episode and recall some of the good bad and ugly from 2023 maybe make some some sense uh of it all as we head into what will be a an important newsworthy year, I think, in 2024. Uh, but Melissa, first, top Christmas highlight or just holiday highlight from last from the last few weeks. What would you say? You took time off. <laughs> uh, that running, I did. Running a startup, and even before the startup actually launched, you have rarely even taken federal holidays, and so. Having you t- with time off, our kids have really needed it. So that's been a huge highlight for me. Yeah, no, it's been a highlight. Highlight for me, too. And I'm hoping to have a, a bit of a healthier uh, work-life balance, to use a popular phrase, uh, as we, uh, in, in 2024, uh, uh, you know, some. At some point between, uh, you know, not getting too much sleep, uh, you know, near the end of 2022 as we just launched CCPL and uh, breaking my leg, uh, it kind of came to me that, uh, hey, maybe you're uh, not really, uh, uh, you know, taking this on in a way that's going to be good for the long haul. And so... So 2024, I'm hoping to to reconfigure some things. But yeah, it's been great to have some time off. I've I haven't binge watched television in forever. Yeah, you and I both because forever. I'm usually working at night with the kids um, down to sleep, and we binge watched The Crown. We binge watched The Crown. I wasn't like a huge fan. I thought they did a good job with the last three episodes yeah, of the season. They got back to what it felt like the first season, where especially on the religion stuff, they actually. Played well with it. I didn't like the Diana stuff, to be honest with you. But yeah, it felt kind of gross. Um, yep. But uh, watched all the light we cannot see. All the light we cannot see was really good, and the main actress in that show, if you go and watch it, and I, I think it's really good. It, this is her first acting gig ever, and it was her first audition ever. Um. So the main character is 
uh, is blind, and so they they got an actress um, with with visual impairment, and so it was kind of because I thought to myself, who is she? She's wonderful. She's really good. And I looked her up, and I thought, no way. We're watching somebody in their first role, their first thing ever. Yeah, yeah. she's gonna no. be someone to watch. I think. Yeah. No, it was fantastic. I. I started reading the book and didn't like it. And for some reason, I returned to it. And when I returned to it, I loved it. Uh, and so I was, I was super excited to, to see it. Then the other Netflix thing. So we, we canceled Netflix uh, for a long time. And we decided that we'd been away long enough that there were a few things we wanted to watch. And so we have a temporary uh, renewal on our membership. So we've been watching through Netflix. Mike Birbiglia's new special uh, is is fantastic. I think it's uh, the old man and the pool. Uh, uh, it, he's I won't be saying anything new here. He's an incredible storyteller, uh, and I woke you up maybe three or four separate times <laughs> laughing uh, as I was watching watching the special. Um, oh, and then I finished. Uh, my brilliant friend. You did. You've been watching that what feels like for like four months. Well, so the thing with my brilliant friend is, uh, you, you can't take your eyes off of it because you're the subtitles. So, uh, so like you really have to. It's not not something you could watch while you're doing other things. Certainly not like yeah, but when when there are other tasks to be done, and so it's three seasons long and like you have to be dialed in but I, I finally finished it and thought it was so fantastic. my brilliant friend is from an Elena Ferranti novel so the show is in, in Italian yes sorry yes the show is in Italian it's a beautiful show the story is uh, incredibly moving you get invested in the in the characters uh, it's um the 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 feel of life in like a in a, in an Italian sort of small town outside of Naples is is really like palpable, uh, and so so I enjoyed that. So yep, yeah, so we've celebrated uh, Christmas. We've caught up on some TV, uh, and we've also uh, Melissa spent some time thinking about twenty twenty three. I did a lot of time. This is our recap. This is our reflection. This is our uh, what shall we call it? Try, you know, I think trying to yeah make our make sense, sense making yeah our sense making of twenty twenty three. And Melissa, I'll, I'll start sort of asking you about one. You know, the the economy has been a sort of journey both. You, you know, for its its practical the, the 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 workings of the American economy, but then also the the narrative making of the the the, the, the yes. narrative of the economy, or as we've talked quite a bit uh, this year, the vibes of 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 the economy. And so, talk about this. Inflation versus Goldilocks, sort of th these two very different ways of assessing 
the state of the American economy and the stories that we're telling about the economy and that I imagine will be the stories that the two political parties tell as they uh, as we go into a presidential election about the economy. Yeah. So back at the end of 2022, Kyla Scanlon on Substack wrote the of what became a very popular post. I remember she released it and I read it like within five minutes called The Vibe Session. And this is due to the fact that inflation for at least a couple of years now has been really bad, has driven prices up in every single sector. In some sectors, it's been just absolutely wild prices. And so the Fed that, you know, over the past couple of years has been raising interest rates. And when you and the general the general economic theory, I, I guess you could say, is that when you raise interest rates, you're most likely going to throw the economy into a recession. Now, the Fed, what they're trying to do is they're trying to play into what is called a Goldilocks scenario where they can raise the interest rates enough to cool inflation and get inflation, uh, a certain measure of inflation back below 2%, which is their goal, while also not throwing the economy into a 2008 type financial crisis. So we've had that Goldilocks scenario basically for the past year and a half by by the general measures that you that economists would make now i want i'll go into the caveat here in just a little bit we have a goldilocks scenario because inflation has in fact cooled to below five percent below four percent and the fed i think based on all the rumors coming out may actually lower interest rates this coming year in 2024 because they're actually so pleased with how much inflation has come down and then the labor market, what usually happens again when interest rates rise, what the Fed hopes is that the labor market will cool because the labor market was driving so much of um, inflation in the first place because more people are employed, more people have purchasing power, and the, su- and the supply issue that we've been having since the pandemic, meaning that we don't have enough goods on the market, which caused inflation in the first place. The labor market has lost a few jobs. The tech sector is the one that suffered the most. And that's where the beginning of the year people were saying, oh, no, the tech sector, we're losing jobs. Here it comes. And the vibe session will get worse. And we're actually going to be in a real recession. And if you looked in news articles, if you're with us on Substack at whereweare.substack.com and our Monday political briefs, I put in, okay, this is what economists are saying in terms of recession. And every single week, I'd put a little caveat saying, we're not really seeing the recession yet, but they're saying it's coming. I felt like I was saying that over and over again, yeah, Michael. Yeah. Over and over again. So basically, a lot of economists were concluding that we were going to go through a, a not a huge recession by any means, but they felt that it was going to be like a moderate recession, maybe more akin to like the 2003 one or like the 1999 one, 1992 one. Um but we kind of really did it. Now, the, the caveat here is is the the political the political ends and then the actual real life, the lived lives of Americans. We've had the Bidenomics sort of branding from the Biden team over the last what like six seven months. They were kind of touting it, and now they've discovered that it's actually been a total flop because a lot of Americans, because inflation is still rising by, say, like, I don't know, 3.8%, it still means that inflation is rising at a certain Like prices clip. haven't dropped. Prices have, like haven't dropped. Like even though inflation is slowing, people are still dealing with the prices, generally speaking, dealing with the prices that resulted from 
the eight, nine, ten percent yes. inflation that we had before. And yeah. One of the general wisdoms again in, in in economics is that once prices rise, a lot of corporations, businesses, they will keep the prices where they're at because people eventually get used to them and they are they're really not gonna lower a lot of various goods. Now a bunch of goods have actually decreased like Eggs at Aldi are now back to $1.14 here in Baltimore, which I'm very happy about. The price of chicken wings has finally gone back to less stratospheric levels. Um, So there have been few things that have gone back to relatively normal prices, but a lot hasn't. And people are seeing that, um, you know, when you go to the grocery store, not only is the price higher, but the amount that you're getting in a cereal box, the amount that you're getting in a, I don't know, a box of pasta is they're actually lessening the amount that you're getting in a lot of packaging of foods. And people are realizing this. People are not able to pay their bills. People feel like they're making more money than they ever have because wages have actually risen, but they feel poorer than ever because, you know. It doesn't go as far. Because it doesn't go as far as you, as your brain is telling you that it should have. Like, oh, I finally make a six-figure salary. Finally, I've been working towards this for a decade wait, why do I feel like I'm still budgeting so much or my budget has gotten even worse? A lot of people are feeling that, so Bidenomics has failed as a message. And then politically, what we're going to be doing is in 2024, the Republicans are going to be harping on that story of Americans feeling like the economy is going poorly. We have the data, the polling. We constantly have polling coming out every couple of months where people feel like the state of the economy is really bad. And the Democrats are going to be fighting against that narrative and those thoughts and that polling because, you know, the economy otherwise is actually going well. So big story this year, the economy actually not tanking like they predicted it would, but Americans feeling very, very negative about it. I mean, interestingly, and of course, like you can't, you know, there are some real political liabilities with with saying this too loudly for, for the Biden campaign. But interestingly, they're kind of in a similar place as o- Obama was heading into yep. his reelect, which is this feeling... That's a good point, Michael. This feeling among the, the White House economists that, wow, we made some decisions that avoided the worst-case scenarios that we thought were possible that so many outside folks told us were inevitable and we couldn't avoid it, but we did. Um, but, but in politics, it's very difficult to get credit for the the negative outcomes, the, the negative potential outcomes that you avoid. <laughs> um, voters are looking at what's what's in front of them. I mean, imagine if you had uh, inflation combined with uh, 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 rising unemployment, uh, uh, sweeping uh-huh. layoffs, yep. uh, you know, a, a, across the board, uh, a, a, a 0.5, which is what they were predicting going into this year, 0.5 growth in GDP when I think we were at three and a half. We um, had very surprising GDP numbers. Again, the economists were surprised throughout the year. Yeah, and so, but, but that that's that's interesting. President Obama had this same issue, which is, you know, when I when when, when you know when when he took office, uh, a a 
a greater depression was a very real possibility. And they felt like they avoided that. They felt like by the time the reelect came around, a stronger economy was on the horizon, that the worst was behind us. But it's very difficult to sort of tell that story. I guess the last thing I'll say on the economics front is that um, one of the things Obama did was give a more populist economic message. Mm -hmm. Now, of course, that worked in large part, not just because I think he was ahead of the curve. Mm -hmm. I know what you're going to say. Uh, ahead of the curve a bit, but he was running against Mitt Romney. Yep, that's it. Yep. <laughs> um, meanwhile, just this past week, President Trump is hitting Nikki Haley for uh, um, for going after Social Security and, yep. and going after Medicare. He's going after uh, her on working class economic grounds. And so I don't even know if Obama's... I think Obama would have beat Donald Trump in, in 2012 if that had happened. But, but I don't think it would have been because of the economic message to the same extent it was against Romney. Obama's economic message in 2012 was kind of perfectly calibrated for at least the the perception of who Mitt Romney was and what his priorities were. Biden does have this sort of Scranton still. I think he has this sort of Scranton blue-collar economic appeal. It just, the, the foil isn't, quite there with Trump in the same way it would be with, you know, a Mitt Romney circa 2008-2012 or sort of standard Republican uh, economics. Um, and so so that that's going to be really interesting the, to see develop. Yeah. The final two things that I'll say here, one thing that could possibly help the Biden team that they kind of don't have control over is if the Fed does lower interest rates two to three times and you suddenly have people able to buy homes that over the past two years thought, I'm never going to buy a home. Right. Or I'm finally going to be able to buy the home that, you know, go on to my second, third home. The amount of people who will benefit from that and their sort of thoughts on the vibe session might switch, I think can't be counted out. The second thing is that I think that the Biden team should focus almost the entirety of, their, of his so to the State of the Union speech on the economy. It's his biggest yes. chance to walk back the Bidenomics messaging and talk straight to the American people and to the camera about various point. people who have actually benefited from his economic policies, people who are able, their purchasing power is back, people who have now bought a home during this economy. He, he, needs, to, he needs to use it. I know that there's going to be a bunch of things pulling on him to be talking about other stuff, but that speech, it'll be his one chance to have so many Americans watching him at one time to try to redo his economic messaging that's been really bungled over the last six months. Yeah, no, I think that's right. Uh, okay, second theme. Um, as I look back on this year, Melissa, um, I think one theme that has emerged for me Our, is sort of society, government institutions, business taking on these, our, our political system, taking on these big bets that 
I think are going to backfire in ways that arguably haven't really been discussed and really three in, in three specific areas, this comes to mind. First, um, I think the rise of the mainstreaming of sports gambling, which we have just seen explode in a way that I haven't seen. Like I'm waiting for the big New York Times, New Yorker, like, you know, 6,000 word essay describing how, how sports gambling how, how has how just destroyed a small so, town. Well, well no, like no, not that. How, why it's so ubiquitous all of a sudden. Right. Yeah. Um, I mean, there. it's not like you couldn't look in the paper and find like Vegas odds before. It's another thing. I just looked on my Twitter feed and the Buffalo Bills official uh, channel on X is uh, previewing the game... Uh, the game against the Patriots sponsored by Caesars a sports book. Um, this mm. is like the official, the official account for an NFL team encouraging its fans to bet on the game. So, so, so I, I think that's one we don't have time to fully unpack that now. Um, I do remember some really wonderful conversations Back when I did the church politics podcast, particularly with with Chris Butler, who has who's done work in Illinois on gambling, um, and if you go through the the archives over at Church Politics, you'll hear some more conversation uh, on gambling. But so so that's one. And another big bet, um, the uh, marijuana. And obviously, this didn't just take place in 2023, but uh, in Maryland, I believe it was, it was in 2023 that, um, like, the business, the business side of marijuana really, um, really sort of exploded. Governor Moore has sort of put some energy behind trying to make sure that you know there's representation in the businesses that are selling weed and marijuana related. Uh, yeah, we, we had some legislation passing in the spring. Right. And so, um, you know, in other states, this is, uh, you know, it, 2023 wasn't the high watermark. I do think, um, I do think what I've seen is the very beginning of a reckoning with the very obvious consequences of the mainstreaming and the legal sanctioning of particularly recreational marijuana use. Um, I feel like I'm seeing stories perk up, uh, bubble up about car accidents of people who were high and all kinds of, uh, and, and I think we're gonna see much more of that in the coming years, unfortunately. Yeah, I tried to look up scientific studies on various, uh, you know, uh, journals online of medical journals just to see, really, have we done enough studies on secondhand smoke inhalation of marijuana? Um, and uh, the amount of studies that do not exist uh, is just, it was very interesting. It's all secondhand cigarette smoke. We have obviously have hundreds of studies on that, but on marijuana, we have 
we don't have much of anything. And so I'm thinking about the health consequences as well. Of, yeah, no, yeah. I mean, the public health consequences. Well, public health consequences. Uh, think about um, uh, children, babies in homes where because the government now has made marijuana legal, like people just assume if something is legal, it's safe. Yeah. Um, so I, I, I think that that story is predictably from my perspective um, is, is un- again, unfortunately going to sour. AI is a, a bit different. Um, I think there's a very live conversation on a broad societal level. There are congressional committees and all of this sort of activity around the potential consequences of the proliferation and increasing sophistication of artificial intelligence. And as it becomes more and more utilized, uh, uh, the, the economic, the social, um, but it still does feel like a big story from 2023 and something that we're only beginning to wrap our arms and our minds around, uh, yes, potentially the, the, po- the benefits, the, the, the possibilities of using uh, uh, AI in, in more and varied uh, ways, um, but but also uh, what I think are going to be very serious changes and yes consequences. And I I will say um, the naivete that I am seeing in, among Christians about the use of AI. Um, I'm starting to see, and you know, check the backgrounds of these folks. You know, like I, I, I have friends in tech; they're wonderful people. But like, um, you, you just like, if you see a, if you see a Christian leader, uh, you know, posting on social media about um, the ways in which. The AI is going to enable the, uh, enable us to reach more people with the gospel and all this. Like, uh, are they invested in a tech company? Like, you know, like who who gives to their churches? I mean, uh, some really extraordinary statements are coming out that I don't think people are fully coming to terms with how placing AI at the center of evangelism uh, can undermine the authenticity um, and the reception of the gospel message. And uh, I think we need to have a, a more live and informed conversation in the church about AI that isn't just driven by those who have a financial or even just um, you know people who are who, who just are always tech friendly and that's just sort of what they do. We need to have a broader conversation. Let's bring in like actual theologians. Let's bring in ethicists and not just have it be the business tech side of the church that's that's driving driving this conversation. So so that would be 
and there are others we could discuss, but when I think of, of sort of society going, uh, going uh, not all in, but, but, you know, close to in areas that I think are going to have some serious ramifications, marijuana, sports gambling, AI, you know, strike me as, as fitting the bill. The third theme, Melissa, that I'm, I want to talk about is I think 2023 was a year of further undermining trust in the functioning of government. Uh, and I think we saw it across all three branches for very different reasons. I think uh, for the executive branch, we won't belabor this point. We've talked about it quite a bit. Uh, the student loan, the sort of announcement of a student loan policy that was sort of, in my view, half-baked, uh, that is was then very predictably, again, in my view, uh, you know, uh, canceled by, uh, by the courts and all the fumbling around that uh, on the judicial side. And again, these are all different, but they all contribute to this undermining of sort of trust in the functioning of, of government. Uh, the uh, criticisms of corruption in the Supreme Court. Yep. Uh, and we've now seen a, a really extended campaign, which I don't say to totally sort of undermine the, the value of it, but it is very tied up in politics, very tied up in a sense that the Supreme Court is is going to be voting a particular way uh, for the coming years, and so need needs to be uh, undermined uh, according according to some. But we saw just a barrage of uh, reporting and attacks on the Supreme Court, um, and then of course in the legislative branch. Uh, we had a pretty historic vacancy yeah. of the Speaker of the House, the People's House. And it was with, uh, without elected, like duly elected leadership for weeks. Mm -hmm. um, and, and it's not like before that. It was just doing so, gangbusters. No, yeah. what I, I mean, Kevin McCarthy became speaker on, what was it, January 8th. And that was after a protracted fight. He right. It took 15 rounds of voting. Ooh. And then he became speaker. And then he was ousted, which is like a, which is a huge deal in the first yes. place. And then we were without a speaker for a very long time. And this is amidst a budget fight with the threat, with the threat of a government shutdown, what, two times this year? Three times? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to count based on, but yeah, yeah, no, that's And with right. the point that this this early January, they have to re, they have to try to find a, an approval for like a long-term budget because they still have not done that. Yes. Uh, and so, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to say. I, I, 2023, unfortunately, not a great year for restoring trust in uh in in government uh which i write about this in my book that will be out next month um the lack of trust i mean even like basic trust 
in in government uh, is a severe, severe problem. I mean, Melissa, on, in this bucket, we could also talk about George Santos. We could yes. talk. I mean, I mean, it, there there was such a laundry list of of stories. Um, but but that to me is a is an unfortunate theme from from 2023. Uh, Melissa, the fourth and penultimate, we have we have two more themes left to cover. The fourth theme uh, is just the presidential election. Yes. Um, and I I think what we saw in 2023 was um, we're used to presidential elections, even just for the sake of the media, having the appearance of ups and downs uh, and twists and turns. And if you remember the primary in 2016, it seemed like there was a new front runner for the Republicans. Like, you know, like eight different people had their moment in the spotlight from, uh, yeah, Ben Carson to Herman Cain, even for a moment. Remember oh, Herman right. uh-huh. Cain, and uh, it, you know there were a number of people who sort of had had a moment. Um, uh, but uh, very, uh, frankly, like very little news out of the presidential election in twenty. Like real news out of the presidential election in twenty twenty three that amounted to much of anything at all i am someone who still thinks like let's let voters vote um and we'll see how 2024 turns out and we'll have a really good sense by the by the end of february at the really at the latest (laughs) um whether whether we have anything approaching a race on our hands um i think but um but uh it, it was pretty straightforward. Trump was dominant to start 2023. And, and if anything, he's in, in even stronger position, at least at the national level now, than he was at the beginning of, of the year. By the way, as I mentioned Trump, we could also add into the the previous theme about functioning of government I all was these just indictments about to say, and yes, all of his indictments on the, elec- on the election side of things <laughs> all of his indictments yeah. only strengthened him which just feels well right yeah. yeah i mean so we'll find out soon enough whether uh, you know any of the hundreds of millions of dollars spent ostensibly trying to defeat trump uh were uh you know, impactful at all in in really just a matter of, of weeks now. Uh, but I do think I was a bit... I was a bit surprised by... Um, not so much the poll numbers or the, the actual... like metrics of the race... I guess I was surprised by how kind of um, muted the media conversation was, like mm. like how how little um, how little uh, real points of traction the 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 
Republican primary delivered over over 2023. Um, it, it, it's it's been it's been it's been it's been boring. There hasn't been. There hasn't been there hasn't been much in my view to like really report on, um, which does. Before we go to the last thing, I, I do just want to point this out. You know, one of the reasons why Biden beat Trump in twenty twenty was this sort of commitment that he had around a return to normalcy and around, which we talked about. Uh, a, a, Maybe just one episode back or two episodes back, but but this idea that you know isn't Trump like Trump is just um, he's on TV too much he's in the news too much too much controversy. There seems to me to be a bit of like a media um, decision not to cover Trump as much or in the same way this time around. Uh, Trump's social media is now mostly on Truth Social, which, you know, people who aren't, I mean, that's an audience primarily of Trump supporters. So Mm -hmm. if you aren't a Trump supporter already or just not, it's not in your face in the same way that it was when he was posting on Twitter. Um, and oddly, I think this sort of works to Trump's advantage. Mm-hmm. Um, th- th- this, the the fact that his communications have been so siloed, I think it it does lead to like uh, the 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 defenses go down a bit. The the sort of annoyance of voters who just don't want to hear from politicians generally and then you know sort of someone like Trump um, that's it's going to be very interesting to see how persistent if the media coverage of Trump returns to what it was like in 2019 2020 um, and obviously during his presidency once if and once he becomes the nominee again Mm -hmm. Or, or if it's just going to have a different feel this time around. So, yeah. Uh, so our next, our final, yeah, our final theme or bucket of the year are, is old conflicts reemerging. So th- this obviously refers to foreign policy. It's been, it's been a busy year. Obviously, Ukraine continues to fight Russia. Um, there have been some pretty big recent developments there. Um, but that's, you know, obviously in 2022, now in 2023, the big, big, big foreign policy story of the year will be um, Hamas uh, t- uh, attacking Israel and taking hostages, and then Israel's response, um, uh, the bombing of Gaza. Uh, th- obviously, the this conflict has been around for decades, um, and honestly, before even um, Israel became a state, it existed then. Um, this is a long, complex conflict. I, I have been saying to Michael for, for weeks now that I, I believe it's always been the most complicated and complex conflict of the last several decades, that there is no other issue going on in the world uh, in the past or currently that even rivals it with just how complex the 
the, the whole war is and everything that led up to it. We've And don't friends, don't let anybody tell you that it's anything but complicated. Yeah. There is just so much moral bullying and propaganda uh, from folks who really should know better, uh, who, well, that's all, this is a tremendously, tremendously complicated scenario. It's complicated because of the history. It's complicated because, uh, for example, there have been reports in the last uh, in the the last few days that we're closer than ever to Israel opening up um, a, a, a basically a second front of the war um, in Lebanon. So Hezbollah, backed by Iran, has been firing missiles into uh, Israel at an increasing rate. Over the last weeks and, and months, there are now reports that Israel, um, uh, uh, and we'll see how this develops, but like just as an example, all these people who have been, oh, this is uh, from, from, and right, it's happening from, so, some people are saying this is so simple. If you're not calling for an immediate ceasefire now, uh, you're immoral. Other people are saying, uh, that anything other than all-out support for every action Israel has taken since October 7th means that you don't recognize the evil of what happened on October 7th. So there are like both of these narratives taking place. No one who is saying any of these narratives uh, will take any responsibility for the actual on-the-ground consequences of, for instance, this conflict opening up to embroil not just Lebanon, but like this, this is the kind of situation that could explode into an all out regional conflict, if not a bona fide world war. I mean, all of the pieces are in place Russia, uh, uh, Russia, Iran, uh, obviously the United States' uh, involvement. And so you know, it's it's okay to think that this is complicated and and um, that that the answers aren't directly uh, apparent. I know that there are um, some 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 people who um, have a have a crystal ball. Uh, I don't have one uh, on on this, Melissa. Um, but but th- this is certainly going to be. Uh, a, uh, a a critical um, I, I don't know where this is going to go in 2024 uh, it is going to take up much of America's diplomatic capacity I think Secretary Blinken is just heading back to the Middle East now I think his fourth trip in like a, yeah. like a couple months um but, but yeah, I didn't mean to cut you off, Melissa, but but I, I, it, I I've been so frustrated by uh, been so frustrated by the 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 saber rattling and the moralizing 
of, of people who will never hold themselves responsible if all of their sort of rhetoric and all of their sort of um, all, all of their definitiveness actually leads to uh, even more catastrophic, you know, results. Yeah, and so we'll leave we'll leave that one there uh, on the table. Uh, China and its aggression towards Taiwan. Taiwan around 1949 is when it gained its independence, and since then China has always claimed Taiwan as its territory, and Taiwan has said no. And uh, this is a conflict that we think is only growing in its uh, intensity and pretend and potentially urgency for 2024. Well, and we'll have a major milestone here. Yep. Elections are in just a couple weeks. Yep, so and that's going to happen. And in the South China Sea, that has been an ongoing, you know, old conflict where China has been asserting itself because its navy has been growing stronger and has, um, of all the countries that, there's a bunch of countries who lay claim to the South China Sea. It's really clashed with the Philippines and the United States is a big ally with, with, with the Philippines. And so um, China and uh, it's sort of um, the hegemony that it believes it has over, you know, various different areas and around around um, the country, around its uh, territory is definitely something sort of reemerging yet again. And there's other little conflicts that reemerged once again this year that were old or protracted or frozen, like Azerbaijan took back an entire chunk of Armenia and it was honestly barely covered in the news. Um Sudan had an internal war um, amongst a few factions, and that has been going on for years, but it really hit uh, ahead in 2023. And honestly, there are several others that I could name, but but I won't. But yes, this, once again, in 20, 2022 sort of started us off in terms of old conflicts reemerging yet again. And I will say it until I'm blue in the face, but all the international relations, foreign policy experts who for years felt that the turn of the 21st century after 1990, who felt that territory was less of a concern than ever before, it's just incredible how our, most of our conflicts going on in the world are m- mostly over territory, um, even though many wrote that off as a sort of um, big driver of, of a lot of um, various types of wars across the world. Yeah. And so, you know, I'm sorry we don't have, um, you know, positive things happened in 2023. Uh, I'm I'm sure, <laughs> but but yeah, I mean, as as I as we as we look back, sort of thematically on the year, um, you know, th- this is this is sort of what what we came up with, what we what we what we what saw. really stuck out to us but yeah. we will our next episode we're gonna cover 2024 what we think will be the themes or the big things that might happen um beyond the 2024 election which we know is going to take up a lot of oxygen so we're going to have a episode <laughs> episode next week maybe we can specifically think about the positive things yeah. that might happen yeah exactly. we can endeavor our aspirations for 2024 Aspirational. <laughs> um okay just to wrap up the episode we thought we'd cover our favorite uh, just one for each of us favorite article of the year well i, I may have two uh but <laughs> okay. favorite article of the year and our favorite podcast episode of the year so our, Melissa, our own yeah of our own uh 
Melissa, why don't you start with your favorite article of the year? My favorite article of the year was actually an excerpt from a new book this year. It was McKay Coppin's excerpt on his book about Mitt Romney that was in The Atlantic a few months ago. I could not... It felt like I was reading the book itself, and I just could not put it down. I found it to be utterly fascinating. McKay just hit it out of the park with with basically the biography of Mitt Romney and his time in Washington. Um, an excellent, excellent read. I, I, lo- I loved that piece in The Atlantic. Yeah. Um, for I, I thought that was an excellent article as well. Um, I, I will take... I will take two. Um, first, uh, and by the way, all of these articles featured in our top five read of, yes. reads of the week, which you can sign up for for free at reclaiming. Uh, no, I'm sorry, <laughs> at, at whereweare.substack.com. Um, in April of 2023, uh, David Wallace Wells interviewed Dr. Fauci um, with his a sort of look back on how he personally and how the government and public health institutions handled the pandemic. And I thought it was, at the time I shared it and said that this interview is a public service. David Wallace Wells asked very difficult questions. I found Dr. Fauci to be as sort of open as like he had the capacity uh, to to be as sort of self uh, reflective and self sort of examining as he had the capacity to be. And I also just thought it was an article with so much sort of heat and accusation of motivation around the pandemic uh the the interview actually fleshed out like the real the real motivations behind decisions and the real tensions and the real sort of um uh, the 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 different factors at play so i I thought that was great And, and again that's a new york times magazine interview the headline is Dr. Fauci looks back, something clearly went wrong. Um, and that's a quote from, from Fauci. Second article, uh, I believe it was from February. And it's um, this great piece in The New Yorker, which I think was a bit of a preview of a lot of the conversation we were going to be having uh, about a- AI throughout the year. And it was by uh, Ted Chang, um, uh, who is the guy who wrote um, the short story that became the movie Arrival. Oh, right. And he yeah, oh. he wrote he wrote this really wonderful um, this this really wonderful uh, uh, essay on on AI. Where the, the headline is ChatGPT is a blurry JPEG of the web, and he has this this sort of line about how. Um, uh, actually, I'll read from it. He says, "Sometimes it's only in the process of writing that you discover your original ideas. Some might say that the output of large language models doesn't look all that different from a human writer's first draft, 
But again, I think this is a superficial resemblance. Your first draft isn't an unoriginal idea expressed clearly. It's an original idea expressed poorly. And it is accompanied by your amorphous dissatisfaction, your awareness of the distance between what it says and what you want it to say. That's what directs you during rewriting. And that's one of the things lacking when you start with text generated by an AI. And I thought that sort of humanistic approach to some of the challenges of AI um, was very helpful and I think will be needed uh, in in the year uh, in the year to come. So those would be my my top two articles. M Melissa, let's close uh, favorite episodes of where we are. And by the way, we're almost at a hundred episodes of we where are. we are. We're very near. We've done, I think nearly, if you count morning five, uh, we, we've done, uh, we've done well over, uh, I think 300, uh, episodes total of, of, of this podcast. Um, but yeah, so from 2023, what was what was your favorite episode? Yeah, so my favorite episode in 2023 to do was episode 64. It was called God Save the King. I was the faith in politics of um, King Charles's uh, coronation. I, I mean, <laughs> obviously I have a bias. I love talking about the UK, UK politics. Um, but the coronation, I just felt like was a really interesting insight into how religion and politics work work in the UK, um, and I and I really loved covering it and reading more reading up more about it to learn to to learn about the various things that he had to do during that ceremony and loved discussing it with you. Yeah, I I love the episode too. I, I think for me, my answer which is kind of a cop-out, kind, kind, of, of kind of pandering. Mm -hmm. It's our listener Q&A episodes. I love all of them. I love our yeah. listeners. I love the questions they ask. You all always send us the most interesting questions, especially the fun questions are always hilarious to us. Yes. Um, besides the serious uh, politics or faith-based questions. And so, uh, so yeah, so, so those would be my, my, favorite, my favorite episodes from, uh, from the year. And that is really just a way of saying uh, how grateful we are for uh, for you, for our, our listeners, and so yes. happy to have you with us for for the year. Yeah, thanks for joining us in 2023. If you've come from 2022, 2021, we're so grateful that you've stuck with us. Uh, and if you even if you just joined us a week ago, we're just really grateful that you tune in, that you listen to us, especially with the morning five, that you listen to it with your kids in the morning. We love hearing that. And, you know, sometimes, you know, making a podcast can be tiring. And sometimes there's some days where it's like, oh, no, we got to cover this issue. Oh, that's so daunting. Or I'm really tired. And when we get your feedback, when you contact us, when you leave us a review, oh, it's just so lovely hearing from you that you've taken the time, that you take time out of your day to just join us uh, to try to make better sense of this American life <laughs> that we are living. Um, just really grateful for you in 2023. So here's to 2024. Yeah, here's to here's to 2024. Uh, we'll bring 
uh, quite a bit. I'm very excited. Uh, the spirit of our politics comes out in uh, just over three weeks. That's right. And so uh, we'll talk more about that uh, in, in the coming weeks. Uh, but for now, we'll just say Happy New Year. Happy New Year. And we'll talk to you in 2024. Bye. All I want is to go again, but you ain't picking your phone up. Why are you messing my head up?